We doing good? Yes? Well, as the band leave us, thank you guys so much. Let's also just pray before we get into this message. I'm excited to share this message. I'm excited to see what God is going to do. I have no idea what God is going to do, but I know it's going to be good. So would you all pray with me? And if you are here actually believing for a miracle today, there is a piece of paper on your chair. I want you to just hold on to that as we pray. Because later in the service, we're going to get a chance to write down what it is that we're believing for and pray over that together. But you can hold on to that now as we just invite God into this moment. He's already here, but we want to make sure that whatever I share is directly from him, not from me. Amen? God, we just thank you so much that we can gather in your house today. God, I pray that as we seek you, As we come before you right now, believing for miracles, God, I pray that you would bring revelation to our hearts. I pray that you would bring fresh inspiration to our minds, to our souls. I pray that there would be fresh faith in the room. That people that came in with no ounce of faith or people that came in with just a mustard seed of faith, God, I pray that you would increase it. I pray that every single person in this room would have their faith increased today in some way, shape, or form. God, would you speak as we listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it's Miracle Sunday, and I think it's only fitting if I tell you a story as we start out. You know, a few weeks ago, um, I was having a conversation with an amazing woman on our team. Her name is Jules. She oversees our Power Tots ministry with the one and two-year-olds, and Jules is a woman of faith, y'all. If you've met her, then you know. But Jules also, aside from doing her internship here with us, she also is a part of a street ministry team called Shining Light. And she was telling me about a moment when she was out preaching the gospel on Queen Street just recently, And she was preaching the gospel, and as she was out there with her team preaching, there was this man that kept intimidating and harassing her group, saying things to her, getting up in their faces. Eventually, this man, so intimidating, gets up in Jules' face, is just inches from her face, and she says, Jesus stands here. And immediately, this man drops to the ground, sobbing, absolutely overwhelmed by the power of God. But then when he stands up, she sees him looking at his arms, and he's touching his arms, and she's thinking maybe he hurt his arms when he fell. But then all of a sudden he says, my tattoos, they're gone. And she says, sorry, what? And she, she was thinking, like, I didn't, she didn't previously remember seeing tattoos, but at the same time he was all up in her face, so she wasn't focused on his arms. She was focused on the man in her face, and he's looking at his arm. He goes, no, my tattoos, all of them are gone. And he pulls out his phone. And he pulls up recent pictures of himself where he had sleeves of tattoos on both of his arms, many of which were tattoos of demons. Immediately in this moment when he dropped to the ground, he was overwhelmed by the power of God and literally tattoos of demons fled in the name of Jesus. That's incredible, isn't it? Not only that, but he's looking at his arms and he says, all of my scars from the drug needles are gone too. And now this man preaches the gospel on Queen Street and ministers to a number of the homeless people there. I call that a miracle. A miracle that someone in our church witnessed that happened in our very own city. Now, as I told you that story, I bet you had one of the following reactions. Either one, your faith is strengthened and you are in awe of the power of God and you believe God can do a miracle in your life too. Or maybe... You're in awe of that story. You're inspired, and you believe God can do miracles, but maybe not for you. Or maybe you question the validity of my story. 
And you don't want to believe it unless you can meet that man for yourself and see those photos. Well, go down to Queen Street. I'm sure you can find him. And he will talk to you and preach the gospel to you now. Or maybe you think I just made it up. Or that Jules made it up. I promise you, I did not. But maybe you still remain firmly seated in the camp of unbelief with the assumption that miracles don't happen today. Look, if we're going to talk about miracles, and if we're going to pray for miracles later in the service, then I just wanted to address some of these thoughts before we get to that moment. Because the reality is, I've had all those thoughts before too. Maybe you've had all those thoughts before too. Because I am very much a rational thinker. I like to find reason in all areas of life. And to be honest, I had to intellectually connect with God before I could allow my heart to surrender to him. That was just the way that I was wired. But now that I know that there is so much evidence for the existence of God, now that I know facts about the life that we live, about human morality, about the world we live in, and the evidence for Jesus that we find not just in the Bible but other ancient texts, I know for a fact that God is real. And because I know God is real, I want a personal relationship with him. And because I have a personal relationship with him, I now know his character. And because I know his character, I now know that our supernatural God is one who was willing to intervene in his natural world that he created. And because he is willing to intervene, I believe in miracles. So what is a miracle? I particularly like this definition from a professor of philosophy. Richard L. Pertil says this, a miracle is an event brought about by the power of God that is a temporary exception to the ordinary course of nature for the purpose of showing that God has acted in history. Now, in C.S. Lewis's book called Miracles, he describes the course of nature to usually be this predictable pattern. You know, if A, then B, right? But when God chooses to perform a miracle, he doesn't just erase that pattern. He doesn't suspend that pattern. He just feeds a new event into that pattern. It's as if God is saying, this time, instead of A, how about A2? And then nature responds with B2. Now, why should I bring up the laws of nature? Well, because this is the foundation that many skeptics like to stand on in order to refute miracles. You know, a true skeptic actually believes there is no supernatural world. And if that were true, then sure, there would be no miracles because there would be no supernatural power to intervene in the natural world, right? If that were true. However, if you expect law in nature, then you must believe that ultimately there is a legislator for that law. Someone who upholds that very law. Perhaps the one who created it. See, could I suggest to you today that the legislator of the law of nature is actually the creator of creation? If you've previously claimed you don't believe in miracles because you don't believe in God, but at the same time you believe in science and the laws of nature, then I want to challenge you today to wrestle with the truth that the very laws of nature you hold to so tightly need a legislator. And that legislator is not you, nor is it nature herself. The legislator must exist outside the law of nature. You know, as I dove into this topic on miracles preparing my heart for today, I've come to believe that there are two main things that cause us to reject miracle claims. And the first is unbelief. You know, it's the unbelief of a skeptic who dismisses the idea of God altogether as any explanation for miracle and instead wants to find any possible reasonable explanation within nature herself. And if they can't find an explanation, they'll still say, no, there has to be an explanation for this. Surely it's not God. 
even if they can't find that very explanation. But there's also a level of unbelief that I believe occurs within believers. And I think there's this story in the book of Mark that describes this so well. It highlights this moment when a dad brings his son before Jesus because his son is possessed by an impure spirit that has been causing him harm for some time. So we're going to go to the book of Mark, chapter 9, starting in verse 20. It says, so they brought the boy, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth, and Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, the dad says. It is often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus says, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Now this is an important story for us as the church to look at today because this dad was a believer. He knew who Jesus was. He knew what Jesus could do, but I think there was some part of him that didn't think he was worthy enough to receive a miracle from Jesus himself. There was some part of him that didn't think that he was worthy or qualified enough to even come before Jesus. And so he says, I do believe, but could you help me overcome my unbelief? Help me overcome that part of me that doesn't know if you'll do it for me. And I think there's a lot of Christians that can relate to this dad. So he boldly declares, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Because unbelief can surface in believers in the form of what I like to call a bias, which is a tendency towards a particular belief that's often derived from experience. A bias can just develop in your life over time. It's a learned behavior. And a bias, I think, can develop within the heart of a believer after they've been praying for some time, and they're not getting the answer that they hope for. A bias can develop within the heart of a believer after they have been going before God for the same thing and they feel like God is not answering them. A bias can develop within the heart of a believer after years of struggling with the same thing. So perhaps maybe you sit in the same camp as this dad who has watched his son struggle since childhood. Perhaps you do believe, but you need help to overcome your unbelief and God to do miracles in your life. Perhaps you do believe, but maybe you don't believe that God will do it for you, that he will alter the course of nature for you. So maybe you just stopped asking because you think you already know the answer he's going to give you. When I was 16 years old, I got my first and only, might I add, speeding ticket. And the thing was, I was actually on my way home from church camp. I was coming home from church camp. And I had my brother and my sister and my brother's friend in the car. And I was going along the highway, and I thought I pulled off onto the right exit towards my hometown, which would have been another highway. So I was going the highway speed limit on a normal speed limit kind of road. This was an honest mistake, y'all. I was going 65 miles per hour in a 45, which is basically 105 in a 70. And it was a construction zone. So I not only got slammed with a speeding ticket, they doubled it because of the construction. And I was mortified, y'all. Absolutely mortified. I also was driving a pink van because, you know, I have to have a bit of color in my life. And my friends at church camp had just rode on the back of my car, honk if you love Darcy. So people are literally honking at me. As I'm pulled over, I was mortified. 
absolutely mortified. And then I pull into the driveway when I get home, and I'm crying as I tell my dad. And I've got to call my, fr- my brother's friend's parents to tell them, too, because he was in the car when it happened. And I was given an option to appeal the ticket if I appeared in court before the judge and explained my honest mistake. But sadly, I couldn't make the court date, nor could my parents, so we had to pay it. But there is a chance that I wouldn't have had to pay it if I appealed before the judge and explained what happened. See, there's a chance that the course of events could have been changed if I went before the legislator. See, there's a chance that the course of events in your life could change if you appeal to the legislator of the laws of nature. But perhaps you don't appeal to him because you have a misunderstanding of the character of our judge. Maybe you think he's going to deny your request. And so you just say, nah, it's okay. I'll just pay the ticket. I'll just let life keep happening to me. I'll just go on with life as it is because I don't think that judge, I don't think that legislator, I don't think that God actually wants to give me the time of day to hear my appeal. So maybe it's your unbelief rejecting miracle claims or maybe it's that bias that you have allowed to develop in your heart. Whatever it is, I want to challenge you today to first believe that there is ultimately a legislator behind the laws of nature. There is a supernatural power behind this natural world that we live in. C.S. Lewis describes this so beautifully. He said, only supernaturalists really see nature. Because you must go a little away from her and then turn around and look back. Then at last the true landscape will become visible. You must have tasted, however briefly, the pure water from beyond the world before you can be distinctly conscious of the hot, salty tang of nature's current. To treat nature as God or as everything is to lose the whole pith and pleasure of her. Come out, look back, and then you will see the astonishing cataract of bears, babies, and bananas. This immoderate deluge of atoms, orchids, oranges, cancers, canaries, fleas, gases, tornadoes, and toads. How could you ever have thought this was the ultimate reality? How could you ever have thought that it was merely a stage set for the moral drama of men and women? Your limited view of nature is not the ultimate reality. There is something and someone beyond our world. And secondly, I dare you to believe that this God beyond our world is one who is still active in and attentive to his creation. You know, I could spend the rest of my time with you today telling you about miracle stories from the Bible, of which there are plenty, But I have a feeling that won't be the most powerful evidence for my skeptics in the room today. Because if I do that, you might just dismiss it and say, well, sure, Darcy, it happened in the Bible, but it's not happening today. So instead, I gathered some stories from men and women in our very own church seated amongst you today that have witnessed miracles in their own life. And with everyone that we're going to look at, I want us to look at it through some certain criteria, through a lens of criteria to make sure we know the difference between miracle and merely coincidence. Because there is a difference. And I think too often as Christians, we can throw the term around miracle so loosely and it diminishes the power of that word by saying, it's a miracle my kid ate broccoli. It's a miracle I got here on time. No, it's not, okay? That's just breakthrough and being mature. (laughs) There's a difference. So let's understand what a miracle is. What's the criteria? J.P. Moreland, he is a philosopher, theologian, and apologist, and he's written a book on miracles. And he says, to be considered a miracle, the event must, one, be very improbable, not likely to happen at all, and be independently meaningful or have specificity by answering a prayer or fulfilling a need, showing that God is at work. 
So if we use that story from Jules as an example, tattoos disappearing off a man's arms, very improbable. That doesn't just happen, right? And was it also specific to that very moment showing God was at work? Did it happen the moment that she said Jesus stands here? Yes, it was showing the power of God at work in that man's life. A miracle. A miracle showing God at work as a redeemer and deliverer. Redeemed for God's glory and delivered from the demonic influence that he had allowed over his life, that he had etched into his skin. I call it a miracle. Okay, what about this one? Here's one of my own stories. In November 2021, we decided we'd take Boston back to the States to meet my family, and it was in the middle of a COVID lockdown. And we finally got a spot in MIQ. It took ages to get all of our ducks lined in a row in order to leave the country. We get to the airport, and all of a sudden they say, where's Boston's American visa? And I'm like, he doesn't need one. He's an American citizen because I am an American. I gave birth to him, therefore, he's an American citizen. And they're like, no, America doesn't know he exists yet. He needs a visa they know that all that America thinks is he's a Kiwi entering their country. And I was like, but I've got the birth certificate. My, his, my name's on here. His name is on here. Like, come on, y'all. Like, and they're like, no, sorry, you have to get a visa, and it's going to take at least 72 hours or three days to get this visa. So let's just cancel this flight. We'll reschedule you to next week. And I was like, no, that's not going to happen. And I freaked out. And at the time, Shermaine and Abby had just arrived at our house. They were house-sitting, and we called them. We're like, we might have to come back, but we're not going to come back yet. Y'all need to start praying. And we asked another number of people to start praying. We refused to leave the airport. We went upstairs. We started pacing up and down in prayer. I'm calling the U.S. Embassy. They can't do anything for me. <sighs> and they're like, sorry, our hands are tied. The office that approves these requests is in America, and it's the middle of the night there, like 2 a.m. there. You're going to have to at least wait until the office is open. I was like, no, I'm not. God, we need your help because we only had two hours before they were going to deny us boarding on that plane. Within an hour, the visa came through. And we got on that flight. Was it very improbable that we would have gotten that visa when the offices were closed and literally no human was working and it usually takes at least three days to get it, get it in an hour? Improbable. Did it specifically answer our prayer in that moment showing God was at work in our life? Yes, I call it a miracle. A miracle showing God at work as a provider. What about this story? From an amazing woman named Christine Smith. She once went on this fishing trip with some bumpy waters. And on the same day, did a few other strenuous activities. And all of a sudden, she experienced this strong pain, this burning and tingling and numbness that radiated down her leg, causing her to collapse every time there was pressure on a certain nerve in her back. A physio sends her for x-rays and reports that she has sciatica radiculopathy. I don't know if I said that right, but you know what I mean. A pinched nerve in her lower back, and damage to the nerve roots in the area where they leave the spine. Now, the physio said, worst case scenario, this could be long-term disability for symptoms of radiculopathy, which can cause permanent muscle loss and nerve damage. But some cases, most cases, resolve themselves in six to eight weeks. So she starts going to the physio, doing the prescribed exercises, and the rest of the time just lying down on high doses of pain medication and muscle relaxant. 20 weeks go by. She still can't do much. So she starts to make peace with the fact that maybe she's in that percentage of people that is going to have a long-term disability with long-term permanent nerve damage. And then there was a prayer night here at church. And Christine said, I can remember that while I was standing, worshiping, I was very aware of the pain in my back. 
And the previous day, my husband and I, we went shopping and on our way home, I had to lie down in the back of the car because I was so sore, I couldn't even sit up with a seatbelt on. And then she says, in this moment at the prayer night, I got a little nudge, which I now know was God, to go to the front for prayer. I was standing there, and Mari suddenly asked, who has a press back? I lifted my hand to indicate that I did, and she started praying for me. Shermaine was standing behind me, laying her hands on me and praying in tongues. And the next minute, I felt this undeniable warmth in my back right on the spot where it hurt. And the pain was instantly gone. And she was healed. And just two months later, she was back at the gym doing burpees and other strenuous activities, which I do not engage in at this point in my life. Amazing. Was it very improbable that diagnosed sciatica would instantly disappear after months of crippling pain? Yes. Did it specifically answer her prayer showing that God was at work? Yes. I call it a miracle. A miracle showing God at work as a healer. But I've got another story. You just met Mari up here, and she's got an amazing husband named Fitu, and they've got a little boy named Ezekiel. And when Zeke was just about a one and a half years old, this toddler, a very daring toddler, was climbing up his deck. And all of a sudden, they're outside, and they see their little one and a half year old boy appear at the top of this deck. And it's about three or four meters high, at least the height of this ceiling. They see him tumble over head first. They both start running to him, but realize they're not going to make it there in time. And that's in those moments where you send up the flare prayers, just Jesus help, right? They're running to him, and they describe it, both of them, that as he was falling head first, as he approached the ground, somehow he gently turned onto his back and was just gently placed on the ground. And they both say that there was not even a bruise on his body. He got up and was running around within a few minutes. They believe that in that moment, an angel caught him, turned him, set him down, and didn't allow any injury to take place on this toddler. Now, was it very improbable for a toddler who fell head first from that height, three or four meters high, to not have any form of injury? Yes. Was it specifically answering a prayer or fulfilling a need in that moment to show God was at work in their life? Yes. A miracle showing God at work as a protector. Band, you can come join me now. Then there's this miracle that we base our faith on which is the resurrection of Jesus. Now, was it highly improbable that a man who was brutally tortured, crucified, buried in a grave for three days, would then raise again to new life three days later? Yes, very improbable. Was it the fulfillment of hundreds of prophecies showing that God was at work in humanity? Yes. You see, when God created this natural world, He never intended to be a hands-off kind of God. When he created his creation, he wanted to engage with his creation, have relationship with his creation. He never intended to be hands-off and allow things to just happen as they do. He knew that there would be moments where we could appeal to him and say, God, would you intervene? Instead of A, how about A2? He always wanted to engage. Because when he authored this whole story, this universal story of life, he knew that there would be moments when unpredictably the plot would twist, where his supernatural power would come in and show that he was still at work in humanity. 
I want to read to you one of my favorite paragraphs in C.S. Lewis's book on miracles. And singers, you guys can come join me too. He says, now there is no doubt that a great deal of the modern objection to miracles is based on the suspicion that they are marvels of the wrong sort. That a story of a certain kind, nature, is arbitrarily interfered with just to get the characters out of a difficulty by events that do not really belong to that kind of story. And some people probably think of the resurrection as a desperate last moment is expedient to save the hero from a situation that had gotten out of the author's control. If I thought miracles were like that, I should not believe in them. If they have occurred, they have occurred because they are the very thing this universal story is about. They are precisely those chapters in this great story on which the plot turns. Death and resurrection are what the story is about. If you have hitherto, that's a fancy word, C.S. Lewis said it, hitherto disbelieved in miracles, it is worth pausing a moment to consider whether this is not chiefly because you thought you would discover what the story was really about. That atoms and time and space and economics and politics were the main plot. And is it certain you were right? Because it's easy to make mistakes in such matters. See, perhaps you haven't discovered what this whole story of life is really about. Perhaps you've made the mistake of thinking that you know it all. That you know that this natural order of things is just the way it is and there's nothing else that could help. There's nothing else, no one else that could intervene. Perhaps, are you wrong? Because this whole story is actually filled with turns in the plot. It's actually filled with moments where the author enters into the story once again. And he introduces something new and unexpected that is specifically showing that he is still at work today because miracles were for then, but miracles are also for now. We just need to have the willingness to go before the author, to go before the legislator and say, could you write a plot twist in right here? Because nature is saying, if A, then B, but God, I appeal to you, and could you introduce A too? Could you bring in something new and unexpected for me and for my family? We're going to pray for that today. And the band's going to sing that song, House of Miracles, one more time. And you've had that little piece of paper on your chair. Maybe you've been holding it this whole time. But I dare you to write something down that you're believing for. Something that only the legislator of the law of nature could do for you. Something that is probably so improbable, nobody would believe you if it happened. But could it specifically show that God is at work in your life today? I dare you. I've written down my own. A miracle that I am believing for, for members of my family. And as we sing this song, there's going to be four little baskets up here on the stage. I encourage you to have the faith to bring that request forward, place it in one of these baskets, and then we're going to pray over them, and I'm going to invite two of my little friends to come pray with me. So band, would you sing? And church, would you dare to believe today that God could intervene for you right here and right now? Perhaps this is the moment where the plot could twist for you. Well, church, we're going to pray for these. But I've got two little friends that are going to pray with me. So why don't you take a seat for just a moment so that you can see them. This is my friend, Steph. How you doing, Steph? This is your microphone. So Steph is only how old? Five. You're five years old. So before we pray, 
I want to let you guys know that Steph is one of the many kids that call this church home. And our kids have been learning about the miracles of Jesus too. This whole term, they've been talking about what God in the, did in the Bible, but they've also written down some of their own prayer requests. Miracles that the kids are believing for. And Emily is holding this little box that represents some of those miracles that our under fives are believing for, that Power Zone is believing for, that our intermediates are believing for. And so I asked some of my little friends to pray. And can I just tell you before Steph prays, it makes me emotional because you're so cool. I asked Steph this week, I said, hey, you guys have been talking about miracles. Would you like to come pray with me on stage on Sunday? And she, without any hesitation, she goes, yes. And I said, are you going to be brave enough to stand on stage and speak into a microphone in front of all these adults? And she said, I'm going to be powerful. Because she knows who's on her side, eh? God is on your side. So, Steph, you're going to speak loud. She decided she would write down her prayer, and her mom just wrote down whatever it was that Steph said. And so, Steph, could you pray for these miracles that our kids are believing for? Dear Lord Jesus, I'm so happy that you made my baby brother. Thank you for your miracle that you made in our new house. People can't do it. It's too impossible. God can do it. Thank you that you love us, God. You use that power to do miracles. You have a power to do miracles for us. Please do what you can do. You can do everything in your power for us. Because you are our God. You can do everything. You are special. We love you. Amen. Heart, kiss, hug, hug. Steph, that was so awesome. And I love that at the end of your prayer, you remember to say, God, I give you a kiss and a hug, hug. Because do you love God? Yes. Do you believe God is going to do some miracles in the lives of these people? so cool. Thank you so much for praying. Can I tell you, this is what childlike faith is all about. People that aren't jaded by life yet. People that aren't jaded by watching other people struggle or by struggling yourself. This is the childlike faith that God asks us to have when we come before him. He says, when you ask me for something, when you appeal to me as your God, as the author of this story, would you come to me like a child? that believes with purity and heart that I can do it, that I will intervene. This is my friend Jelani. Can y'all say, hey, Jelani? And Jelani, how old are you? Eight. Eight years old. And you believe in miracles, don't you? Yes. And can I tell you this? Jelani inspired me yesterday as I was preparing for this message. His mom messaged me and showed me that Jelani took a moment to go meet with God to prepare his heart for miracles today. This young boy decided he'd go sit on his trampoline with his Bible and with worship music in the background and he was worshiping God with such a pure heart, believing for you, believing that God would intervene in your story. And so Jelani, would you pray for us today? Got a microphone right there. These are the, the miracles for Power Zone, eh? Yeah? Okay, you pray with all the power that you got. Dear God, we have a box of miracles and we believe you can do anything. You took a stone to kill a giant took a stick to part the sea and only could do so much with ordinary things. You took a slave to tame a lion. 
He walked on water, raised the dead, and cleaned us of our sins. You're the king above all kings. You choose a boy and made him king. You can move a mountain. You're the God of all creation. You're the healer of the broken, every sickness and disease. By faith, we will believe you will answer this box of miracles. You are perfect and we are weak. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 Jelani, do you believe that God's going to do some miracles for these people? Yes. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Well, church, I know we're all crying, aren't we? When I knew that that's how these kids were preparing for today, I was crying yesterday. Can I tell you, God hears us, and he hears especially when we come with that pure, that childlike faith that believes with absolute certainty that he is who he says he is, that he is a God of goodness and a God of mercy and a God who loves his children. So we're going to pray over these. I'm sorry, we're going over time today, but God wanted some extra time, okay? So we're just going to go with it. But I'm going to gather these prayers up. But there's a couple things that God highlighted to me in worship that I feel like we should pray for. And the first thing that he highlighted to me, and you don't have to single yourself out. It's okay. You put it in. Yeah, we got time for that. But I feel like he highlighted to me somebody here that I think you're on the verge of declaring bankruptcy. I don't know if it's your house that you're about to lose or your business that you're about to lose, but God asked me to pray for you. So church, can you believe that whoever is here that needs a miracle in that area that we could believe that God could come through for them? God, we just thank you so much that you are a God who provides. So whoever it is here that's about to lose their house, that is fearful of losing their business, God, I pray that you would miraculously come through for them that when the bank says it's highly improbable, that you would come through and make a way where it seems there is no way. I pray that you would part the Red Sea for this person, for their family, for their business. God, I pray that they wouldn't have to lose it, but God, I pray that they would. you would show them your miraculous provision. But we don't just ask for provision, we ask for wisdom. We ask that you would grant this person wisdom and abundance, that they would know going forward what to do with the finances that you've given them, what to do with the resources that you've given them. I pray that they would become the greatest steward of what it is that you have placed in their life. So God, would you provide both provision and wisdom? And we just ask for that in your almighty name. Amen. There was one more thing that God highlighted to me, and then we're going to pray for this too. Um, but I just saw a picture of a plane, and I'm just wondering if there's people here and you actually represent a family that isn't yet here because visas haven't yet been granted, and you've been praying that your family would be able to get on that plane to come here and to live here, but you need those visas to come through, and it needs to be a miracle, I just want to pray for you too. So church, would you pray with me? God, I thank you that you are good, and your goodness and your mercy follow us all the days of our lives. And right now in this moment, whoever it is here that is representing a family that is yet to be here, God, I pray that you would make a way when there seems to be no way. 
I pray that you would grant the visa, you would grant the residency that they need in order to get on that plane to come live here in New Zealand with their family to be reunited. God, I pray for a miracle. I pray that you would rush the visa process, that when they say, oh, we can't do it in that time frame, you step in and you say, yes, we can, and we're going to grant it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, would you stand to your feet? over these miracles, these prayer requests that you have so courageously, so bravely, so humbly put into this basket. And I encourage you to stretch out your hands to believe too. And after I finish praying, then I'll officially dismiss this service, but ministry doesn't have to stop there. In fact, I've got a ministry team and extra people from the ministry rooms that are going to be hanging out up here after the service. We're just going to keep some worship music, keep playing. If you want somebody to stand in prayer with you, believe with you, come up to one of them after the service and they will believe for God's goodness in your life. But right now, would you stretch out your hands to believe for everything that is written down in this basket right now? God, you're so good. And we come to you right now with childlike faith, like Steph and Jelani, that prayed without any hesitation, that prayed without any bias, that prayed without any form of unbelief, that prayed with purity in their heart and purity in their spirit, with confidence knowing that you are their God. So God, right now, we come to you with that same childlike faith. We pray that you would help us with our unbelief. God, we lay down unbelief and we lay down our bias at the altar. We ask that you would just fill our hearts, fill our lives with faith to believe for more. God, I pray that as we come to you, that everybody here would know that your character is one that is good and merciful, one who wants us to appeal to him, one who wants us to come before him, one who wants us to say, God, could you write in a plot twist right now, a plot twist that is very improbable, but that will show that you are still at work in humanity right now and right here today. And so God, we ask, that these requests wouldn't fall on empty ears, but they would fall into the hands of a loving God, a loving God who is granting miracles as we speak, who is writing twists in the plot as we speak. God, I pray that we can continue to praise you for who you are and for what you do in our lives.